Hi, everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life by working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. If you've listened to Focus Forward for a while, you'll know that many of our episodes so far have been focused on older kids, our teens and college-age students. We've covered mental health, coping skills, social skills, and college challenges. While we tend to think about how EF skills impact our older children, these skills do start developing in infancy. Babies' interactions with adults help them learn to focus their attention, build their working memory, and regulate their reactions to the things they experience. Everything is new, so they need to learn how to manage it all. As they grow, young children begin to learn planning, flexible thinking, and attention. And as a parent or caregiver of young kiddos, you might look at them and think, do they have any executive function skills at all? Their developing and rather unreliable EF skills require a lot of patience and understanding on our part. As I talked about before in my cognitive flexibility episode, it can help so much to learn about EF skill development, and in doing that, we can recognize that children's EF skill development is nowhere near where ours is. I thought it would be helpful to explore what EF skill development looks like in young children, how we can support them by providing tools that help, and how we can support ourselves by understanding where they are in their EF skill development. In today's episode, we'll learn about this topic from three people who have a depth of insight and experience. First up, you'll hear from Maria Aries, who joined me to talk about supporting EF skill development in the littlest ones in our lives. Maria is a speech-language pathologist at a public preschool, and guess what? She's also my sister. After my conversation with Maria, you'll hear from Stephanie Regan and Mariam Mahmood, who joined me to talk about elementary-age kids. Both Stephanie and Mariam have worked in elementary education and have lots of experience supporting young children. Maria, Stephanie, and Mariam are all EF coaches with Beyond Booksmart, and they bring their coach's perspective to the conversation as well. And bonus, if you have watched our webinar, How to Reduce Conflict and Transform Your Parenting Through Executive Function, you'll recognize Mariam's voice and wisdom. And if you haven't watched it, you can find the link in the show notes. It's packed full of executive functioning skill approaches and tips for reducing conflict with our kids. And hey, I'm the host of that too. <laughs> All right, now on to the show. Hi, Maria. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. My name is Maria, and I'm a speech-language pathologist in a public preschool where I work with kids who are age three, four, and five. And I also work for Beyond Booksmart wearing many hats Mm -hmm. and have done quite a bit of coaching and um, coach development and different roles throughout my time with Beyond Booksmart. Great. And you're my sister. I am. Fun fact. (laughs) Yes, fun fact. Um, So you uh, are uh, quite well-versed, I would say, in working with kids um, under five or five and under. And I was just talking with someone the other day who was surprised to hear that executive function skills are like they start developing even at birth and, uh, you know, start to show up um, at, in really young age, you know, at really young ages. So um, what do executive, what does executive function look like in a kid who's under the age of five? And um, what are some challenges that might come up? Yeah. So pretty much every developmental milestone has some sort of executive function skill behind it. Um, but what executive function challenges look like at this age is pretty much everything. (laughs) Um, basically every executive function skill needs to be supported in preschoolers. I would say that almost every preschooler has difficulty with some, if not all executive function skills, and that's developmentally appropriate. And that's what we're here for, you know, to teach them and guide them and help them figure out, you know, these, these little skills that help them be people that can do things. Yeah. And as caregivers for children, it can be really 
frustrating because we were coming from a place of having really, well, maybe not really great executive function skills, but more fully developed executive function skills. And so it can be really hard to understand, like, why can't they just fill in the blank? Absolutely. And there's so many blanks you can fill in there. <laughs> yeah, all day, every day. <laughs> and I love that you said that it's developmentally appropriate. Like, that's totally normal. I mean, our the frontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex does not finish de- finish developing. And we're seeing that you can still make improvements on your executive function skills after your mid-20s, which is about when the prefrontal cortex kind of is finished developing. So obviously a kid who's little, their prefrontal cortex is just getting going. Just Absolutely. Yeah. They're in the earliest, earliest stages of being able to, you know, show and develop a lot of these skills. And that's really what a lot of early childhood curriculum is centered around is sort of building up the skills that you need and also the social emotional piece that goes along with executive functioning and sort of how you can use those skills to keep learning and growing. Yeah. And so I imagine that when parents feel parents might feel like there's not enough academics going on in a preschool setting, but really at that point, there's, it is really important to focus on that social, emotional and executive function skill development. Absolutely. You need to be able to learn how to learn before you can start learning and being able to use your developing executive function skills to, you know, complete different tasks in the classroom, make a project, follow directions. All those things are so important to academics and academic development, but you really can't make much progress academically if you don't know how to learn first. That reminds me of the idea of metacognition where you, in, in order, like as which is actually pretty much the last executive function skill to fully develop. And the idea of metacognition is like learning how we learn, learning about our own brains and how our own brains work. And so it's kind of the same idea. Like these, the little kids can't really learn the academics until they learn just how to function with other people. Absolutely. Yeah. And that metacognition piece is something that I think a lot about in my teaching. And I try to help kids remember that everybody learns differently and that everybody has different strengths and everybody has different things that they need to work on. Um, I really try often after a task to ask, was that tricky for you or was that easy for you? And then talk about why, because starting to build those metacognitive skills and understand that everybody's brain works really differently, I think is really important so they can get to know themselves as a learner and as a person. I was just talking with my col- a college client of mine the other day, and we were talking about how, um, exactly that about how if you have never been taught to notice how you experience things and notice what like what's tricky and what's easy and and then you can figure out the why if you've never been taught that then well first of all it's never too late to learn that but you've really missed out on some really great opportunities to like learn about your own learning so i love hearing that you do that with such little kids, because it is something that you have to practice. And I feel like as an adult, I I don't remember learning that as a child. I don't remember learning reflection and to really think about how I do things and why I do things. And so it's, it's great to hear that you're teaching that that early. Right. And I feel like as a kid, I had an idea of what should be easy and what should be hard. And that wasn't always what I found. And I think that making it an individual thing can really help with self-esteem because like, oh, that one thing is supposed to be easy, but it's actually really hard for me. If you get, if you, if you get rid of that whole is supposed to be easy piece and think about you as a person and whether it's easy or hard for you, then I think that can really help um, develop a, you know, a stronger sense of self. And comparing yourself to yourself, this used to be hard and now it is getting easier for me instead of comparing yourself to other, other kids, other people around you. 
teaching kids to learn to compare themselves to themselves and not to anyone else and learn about how they learn is also a really great lesson for parents to learn too, I imagine, that let's look at your child's development, your child's progress, just compared to where they've come from and not necessarily against any other children. Oh, yeah, totally. Especially if there's siblings in the picture. So the you I mean, you are saying that there are executive function challenges in pretty much every area off the top of your head. What are some of the most common would you say that you see in your in your practice, in your classrooms? I think, yeah, um, something that first comes to mind is like multi-step directions. Um, those can be really hard attention span, um, <laughs> understanding of your own strengths and weaknesses, um, problem solving can be really challenging for some kids. And understanding of time is a huge one. So do you think that executive function skills are something that parents like should spend time working on with their kids or are they just going to naturally evolve? I think the best thing for parents to do is to do a lot of modeling modeling of your language, modeling of planning, talking about the process for things, talking about how you can be present so that you can pay attention. Um, but not, you know, not, but I don't think that parents need to be specifically practicing any of these things because like we were saying, it's developmentally appropriate for kids to still be working on that. Um, but some things that I think can be really helpful are, like before doing errands, you can talk about the plan, you know, each thing that you're going to do and whether it will take a short time or a long time. And then when you're talking about time, I think making it relatable can be really helpful. So while two minutes, mm, I mean, they don't really understand numbers very much. well. And they also don't really understand time very well. So saying something like this will take as long as it takes to brush your teeth. Or this will take as long as one episode of Masha and the Bear. Or this will take as long as it takes to drive to your grandparents' house. And then also give them the number to go along with that. So they start to learn, okay, five minutes is a kind of short time. You know, doesn't take me very long to do something that takes five minutes. But then an hour is like my entire lifetime, a super long time. So then just using those examples and using that modeling can start to build the foundation of you know, understanding time management and sort of what we can fit into certain blocks of time. Another tool that can be helpful um, is if your child really struggles with multi-step directions or like a multi-step plan, um, just writing out a super quick visual um, with maybe a little picture of everything that needs to happen. So maybe they need to put on their socks, put on their shoes and wash their hands or something. Just drawing a little picture of each of those and then helping them sort of check it off when they're done with it um, can really help with the planning and the executing of a, of a project or just a multi-step task. And if someone is not an artist, are there resources online? I'm, I'm imagining you can grab some clip art from somewhere. Yeah, for sure. There's lots of different resources out there. Um, I'm sure there's lots of free resources, but Lesson Picks is a really great um, website for getting pictures like that. But honestly, you know, you don't need to be an artist. Stick figures are great. Um, doodles are great. I think just getting the idea down on on paper or on a whiteboard or something can be helpful. And it shows, like, if you draw it, then it shows your child that it's it's that it's okay if you don't have really great art skills. There's another opportunity to talk about that. <laughs> I love it. That's great. So, um, what would you say that success looks like at this age? And I know that's I know that's different for everybody. Um, but would you? What do you see first as success in that age group? Yeah, success can look different for everyone um, because there are so many skills that our earliest learners are building. For some kids, success might look like exclaiming, that was easy, which shows that they're thinking about how tasks feel for them. You know, is it easy? Is it hard? Um, success could look like executing both parts of a two-step direction. 
for another success might look like remembering to put pants on. <laughs> that reminds me of um, of when I interviewed Fran and she said, um, kids with executive function challenges sometimes forget to put underwear on. So hey, yeah, she said success in my house is when they remember to put underwear on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's hard to find a developmental milestone in early childhood that doesn't include executive function skills in some way. Yeah. And also um, something that comes up a lot for us as coaches is the idea of looking for those small wins. And, and, it, and especially with this little, these little guys, it's not going to be these huge, you know, they're not going to like write a paper and then have, you know, have all these like massive um, accomplishments that they've made in their executive function skills. You know, it's going to be more subtle, I imagine. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely more subtle. Um, you know, they're growing and developing so much every day. So there's so much to notice and so much to celebrate. And it might not always look like executive function skills, but they're under there for sure. And I imagine that there's like there is at any any age, um, you might make some progress and then and then fall back a bit and then and then go forward again. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important for parents to remember, you know, just how much their preschooler is learning and developing at one time. And, you know, if they were able to follow a two-step direction last week and this week, they're just you know, having a really hard time with it. Think about the other things that they're developing that maybe their brain is focusing on a little bit more this week. And I think that we need to cut them a little slack personally, sometimes. I agree. And it's, I guess it's hard because the lens through which we are looking is from the point of view of someone with a fully developed prefrontal cortex and right, years of right. experience. Yeah. And it's also very easy for me to say this about my preschoolers, but when I'm talking about my own child, no, get those shoes on. We yeah. don't have to do it. Come on. That's right. <laughs> you should be able to do this. Yes. <laughs> it's just a two-step direction. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Or when it, when or my 10-year-old, when you when I say, could you Put your clothes in the lot in the washing machine. The second step is not mentioned, but it, it starting it is um, is part of it. So he did he did what I said, but yep, he did right. not do the unspoken second step. <laughs> right. I recently made a um, like a visual step by step chart for um, tooth brushing mm. after we had a little cavity incident. Ah, and so um, you know, I wrote. I'm just never going to not be a special education teacher. So there's charts and lists and everything in our house of how to do everything. Um, but I had to make a new one because I didn't include as my last step on the list to clean the spit out of the sink. Uh, yes. <laughs> Which, I mean, I thought you don't really need a step on a list for that, but here we are. Here we are. And so does she do it now? Most of the time, yeah. yeah. All right. Which is more than never before. So right. there's right. progress. Yeah. And now we can just say, check your list rather than clean the disgusting spit out of the sink which is a lot easier and, you know, feels yeah. a lot more, um, just feels a lot better to say. Yeah. And it takes, it takes you out of the equation. You can blame it right. on the list. The list is, the list is what it says. What right. says and who knows where that list came from? Yeah. Right? It's like some internet <laughs> list or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. All right. Have fun with those little kids. Thanks. Okay, so now that we've learned about our youngest children's EF skill development with Maria, let's move on to my conversation with Stephanie and Miriam to hear about elementary age kids and their EF skills. Hi, Stephanie and Miriam. Thanks so much for joining me today. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, Stephanie, do you want to go first? Sure. I'm Stephanie Regan. I'm an executive function coach with Beyond Booksmart, and I've been working here at Beyond Booksmart for almost two years now. I was an elementary teacher and worked with children in different capacities for about 10 years. 
Mm, great. And how about you, Miriam? Um, I'm also one of the executive function coaches. I've been working with Beyond Book Smart for almost a year. Um, and I also have been a teacher since 2010, working with kindergarten all the way to fourth grade. Great. So you guys are the perfect people to ask. You have the executive function background and the elementary background. So great. Thank you for joining me today. So we're going to talk about executive function skills in elementary age kids. So what do challenges look like at that age? And you know, as as I've talked about in many episodes past uh, before this, um, we know that executive function skills develop over um, the beginning part of our lifetime and don't even mature until we're in our twenties, late twenties. And then, of course, we all have things that we still struggle with even after that. Um, but what do what do challenges for kids who are in elementary school look like? I would say organization for for space and belongings is really huge. And what that looks like is a lot of students have a hard time remembering where to put things or where they've placed things or where things go. Um, so that's really important. And also, I would say task initiation, too, is hard, especially when you think about how impulse control is hard. Uh, and I think mm. about that when it's time to do homework. It can be really hard for a lot of students to begin homework um, and, and not just kind of relax or, or do something else that might be easier. Yeah. I would also More say self-regulation. Yes, definitely. <laughs> self-regulation too, again, and thinking about impulse control is another area too where um, executive function skill development is really important because they're still learning to control their impulses. Yeah. And that can show up, like you said, in emotion, it can show up in behavior and it can show up in emotion. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. And self, that self-regulation piece is huge. I mean, even as adults, like how often, like, I don't know, I want to throw a tantrum sometimes, but you have to like, regulate your emotions in this appropriate way. And it's harder for the kids because they're just not there yet. I know like as a parent, my kids at home have certain things that they struggle with. And I'm sure in the classroom, they also have things that they have to work on. So uh, where do where do executive function skill challenges show up for kids? In the classroom, it can look like following directions, mm. um, especially one step at a time. Sometimes directions can be complicated <laughs> or it can seem complicated to different students. So really, it can also come down to needing steps broken down into or smaller steps for mm -hmm. students. So that's often where it can show up in the classroom. And I mean, there are myriad ways in which they can yes. show up. But I feel like yes. as far as following directions mm -hmm. um, and following routines, um, mm -hmm. that's actually... And there's I was just going to say, there are so many executive function skills involved in following directions, right? Mm -hmm. you, like you have to memory, you have to remember the steps, you have to pay attention you have to prioritize the new, these steps that you're supposed to be doing over the other thing that you want to do or that you were doing. Yes. Yeah, so many involved. Huh. Not to mention the distractions <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that come right. being in a classroom yeah. full, of, full of students. So yeah. there, there's a so lot that going self, on. Yeah. So that self-regulation yeah. piece yes. and the <laughs> impulse control. Yeah. Yeah. I want to add yes. also organization. Like just if a teacher gives a paper, like just getting the paper from the classroom to the house mm -hmm. that you like, you have to know where to put it and who to give it to, what stays home and what comes back. So these executive function skill challenges can also show up on recess or during recess ah, um, on the playground. Yeah, um, I thought of that. Yeah. So again, in thinking about self-regulation, it can be hard to not just make friends, but also share friends. <laughs> That's come up with a former younger client of mine. And also negotiating play can be really hard. Um, mm. I know when I was a teacher, there was a rule um, that was, you can't say you can't play, um, mm -hmm. but it's easier said than done. <laughs> so yeah. um, yeah. self-regulation during recess um, is a huge piece. And some students know, um, I, I shouldn't say no, but it's easier for some students to have unstructured time than is for other students. Mm -hmm. um, and, and recess can feel really unstructured. Um, and sometimes, I mean, that, that can be good and it can also be challenging for, for students. So yeah, I, I was just I was just talking with um my my son's friend. So my son is in fifth grade, and I was talking with his friend, and um and his friend was saying he does not like recess, and he was saying he doesn't like it because it's so crazy, mm -hmm. and and it's so yeah. I guess he didn't use the word unstructured, but 
I, I've kind of read that that's what he meant. So, yeah. Yeah. You just think of it as every kid would just like it because it's a break from doing work. But for some kids, it's, it can be, I'm, I'm, I, I know, I see that it, it is hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Do you have anything you wanted to add, Miriam, on that? Um, I don't think so. I think like recess, some, usually when we think of executive function skills, we're thinking of like school um, in yeah. like the content area. But like recess is just as important because school's not only for the educational purposes, it's also for the social purposes. Um, so I think like it was really important that Stephanie mentioned that recess is a huge, huge place where we see those skills take take place or evolve over time. Yeah. And, and it shows how um, truly uh, involved in every aspect of our lives as adults and as children, are, these executive function skills come into play. And, and they truly are self-management skills and, um, and how it can show up in, in different areas and how it can also really challenge kids and adults. But mostly, you know, we're talking about kids today really challenge kids, um, especially because they haven't fully developed them yet, especially if they're, many of them are still emerging in elementary school. They're just starting to, you know, just starting to access that whatever skill. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, yeah, no wonder it, it can be challenging. <laughs> and I think understanding that is it, as a parent or as a caregiver, as a teacher, understanding that can make a really huge difference. It can. Oh, Absolutely. I know it can be easier when you're in the place where you can take a step back and and really think about it from a different perspective or think about it from a more objective viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, and that makes me think of how nice it is to have someone who is uh, not not like super, super – as involved with um, your kid as you are as a parent. So like a teacher can maybe teach some of these skills to their students in a like less fraught way than it might be for a parent Um, or like a coach or something, somebody who's outside of the family a little bit and not like with the child all the time with all the baggage that comes along with the relationships we have with our kids. So Absolutely. I I mean, I have two children. One is like, very, very organized. And my younger one is also in fifth grade. And sometimes I'm like, even though I'm an executive function coach and an elementary school teacher, sometimes it doesn't work when I'm telling him the advice. Um, But if it comes from a teacher, from the coach, then he's like the next day, like he's slowly getting it. And I'm like, oh, awesome. As long as the help comes from somewhere. But yeah, yeah, it does. it, It matters. Like sometimes parents no matter how much we want to get to through to our children coming from outside, like might have a different effect on them. Yeah, that's true. And sometimes it's also a matter of reinforcement. <laughs> so they're not just hearing it from, from mom or dad who they, you know, have to, you know, see uh, all, all the time. I was going to say see all the time, but you know, yeah. students spend a lot of time with their teachers as well, but it, it can yeah. help too. when you're, you're hearing it in more than one place. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think, like, how can parents support their kids' executive function development without, or maybe not without friction, because there's going to be friction. That's just part of the relationship. But how how are some ways that parents can support their kids? Well, I they- like I think like the best thing, especially for elementary school students, is like I turn everything into a game <laughs> or something mm. you know, like have them play like plan the activity or the school like whether it's school or sports or like a fun activity at home have them plan it out beforehand um it helps them reach whatever the goal is in mind um and have them thinking oh what what do i want to accomplish and what st- steps am i going to take to get there um like some activities if you're reading a story at home Uh, You could stop and ask the question, like, uh, what would you do if you were that character? Mm -hmm. Or what would happen if the character was different in the story? Um, This Mm. helps. It gets their cognitive thinking like, oh, like maybe I shouldn't be upset or maybe the character shouldn't be upset. And then they like kind of connect that to self, um, to what's Mm -hmm. happening in the real life. So the text to self connections is really important. Um, You could also play like those games like Simon Says or card games. Card games is like my own children, they love card games. Um, 
it helps with the memory skills. It helps with like paying attention. It helps with a lot of those executive function skills in a fun way. Um, It also allows them to take turns, (laughs) follow directions. um, And even like that impulse control, like it helps them like they have to wait their turn or like they can't just like call out. Um, So it's a, it's a fun way where they're learning the executive function skills, but at the same time, they don't know, it's like yeah. learning. Which they is think they're just playing like, a game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. They're actually learning a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's also good too, because as parents, it can often end up that the interactions that we have with our kids are not always super fun. Um, so so giving giving yourself a chance to just play and have fun with your kids while also teaching EF skills at the same time. Absolutely. That's really great. Yeah, I think for me, definitely getting out of the way and trying to trying to um, move them towards independence and also move towards having more positive interactions that have less to do with um, what do you need? What do you need to do? Are you doing what you need to do? Why aren't you doing this? Um, so, being able to support them in that way is really nice. So, I'm a coach. I'm an executive function coach. I have, you know, a, a ton of knowledge and experience supporting people and kids with executive function challenges. And I've, you know, done a lot of research on it. I mean, I host a podcast about it. So I have a lot of knowledge and I still struggle to come up with tools and strategies that I can use for myself, but also that my kids can use so that we can work on developing theirs and also give them this independence and this autonomy that they crave and that I need for them to have so that I can, you know, just do my, my live my life. Um, so what are your, for the things that come up for kids, like the organization and the self-regulation and the task initiation, what, what are your go-to, go-to tools that you teach to your clients and to their parents? Well, I would say my go-to tool is a checklist, which sounds really mm, yeah. simple um, and straightforward. And I mean, it, it's a tool that I use on a weekly basis, yes. so it can be easier to teach it and support it when you use it. So I think having a checklist, an example would be a checklist for an after-school routine. Um, and that could look like, you know, come home, put my bag away, eat a snack, start homework. Um It can have a number of things on it, but I think it's good to keep it to like three or five things. Um, I also think if it's uh, visible and accessible, then it's more helpful. So with that in mind, I think it's important to place it where the client or student can see it (laughs) um, at eye level. And it it can help, I think, ease any tension or frustration around um, reminding your student or reminding your child of what... um, he, she, or they need to do when they get home. Um, you can also refer to it like, oh, like, remember you have a checklist. Did you like do this or did you do that? Or what does your checklist say? And if it's at eye level, then the student, if they, if they're, if they can read, um, then the student can refer to it. And also it's important to use simple language too. Mm-hmm. Um, or pictures as too, well. right? Yes. You can use <laughs> pictures. Um, I, I do like to use pictures. I won't say I'm a visual learner because you, you learn differently you learn different subjects differently or different um, topics differently, but I, I do like visualization um, and I, I do like pictures that can go along with words or phrases um, if, ne- if I think it's necessary. So that can also be really helpful. Yeah, we have a um, a list on our door that goes out to the garage with the things that the kids need to bring, and and it's really nice to just be able to say, "Did you check the list?" Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to get involved. I just have to say, "Did you check the list?" Um, I, I had to make the list, but I and, and I hung up the list. <laughs> but after that, yeah. all I have to say is, "Did you check the list?" And then if they didn't check the list, you know, that's on them. Absolutely. So, and I mean, my kids are older, so it is easier for me to say that's on them if okay. they didn't check the list, but. We scaffold them, right? <laughs> we maybe support them if they forget something on the list and then move them towards leaving it up to them if they forget things on the list. So, yes. Yeah. And there can become a point in time where they memorize the list mm-hmm. or yeah. they memorize a few things on the list and you, you don't really yeah. need to to point it out. Um, 
you know, they can, they might come to a place where they have it memorized, which is good too. Yeah. I was just talking last night with um, a friend of mine whose kids are in second and third grade. And she was saying that, that she was sharing that she also has a checklist um, for the morning and it says pack backpack. She said, she's so funny. She's like, I used, I even used indented bullets. So she has pack backpack and then indented bullets. And then it lists the things that go into the backpack. And she noticed that, that her son had not been putting the snack in. And she's okay. like, why didn't you put the snack in? He said, well, cause it didn't say pack snack. <laughs> she's like, yeah, but you're supposed to take the pack from the top part and then pack the indented bulleted things. So, um, yeah. That's yeah. a good reminder that can be, students can be very literal people. Very too. literal. Oh, absolutely. They can be very literal, not just yes. children. Don't <laughs> assume. <laughs> and yes, that is such a good point, Stephanie. I completely agree. Yes. Um, what about you, Miriam? What do you like to use? No, I honestly like the same as Stephanie, those checklists. Um, for the younger students, when my children were younger, I instead of doing it over and over again, like I just put it in like one of those sleeves like a paper protector um, and kind of turned it into like a dry erase thing. So they would yeah. check it off then I would erase it and then use it again. Um, yeah. Brilliant. That's a good idea. Yeah, and putting it on the refrigerator or the same spot every day, like just having mm-hmm. it there or like when they were like a lot younger, any like little magnets interactive, be like, Oh, I got it done. Instead of a checklist, mm-hmm. I just put like a little tiny magnet. Oh uh, yeah. Smart. Uh, I know gonna... something that, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm an adult and I like checking things off um, in, in Google Notes. Yes, me too. <laughs> I still get satisfaction from <laughs> checking grocery items yes. off my list. Yes, I'm the same way. I use any list and when you tap it, it disappears. It's, <laughs> it's very satisfying. Yeah. Um, I also am a big fan of writing things that I did on my list. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't on the list, but I did it, I still write it on the list and then cross it off. <laughs> so after the fact. <laughs> Um, I was going to say what you said about like doing things that weren't on the list reminded me of five minute goals or mm. the idea of doing like what you can in five minutes because you could actually end up doing a lot more than you think you thought you could. Yeah, um, so that's right. also another good strategy or tool is like, okay, like if, if something is a fight or a struggle with your child at home or even a student at school or uh, a client during a coaching session, um, the five minute goals of, okay, well, let's see how much you can get done in five minutes. And a lot of times it's also been three minutes with a, a particular client yes. of mine, but it's like, what, okay, what can you get done in three minutes? And, and that, mm-hmm. if I set a timer, it can also turn into a game or it can be yes. more fun. So yes. That idea like they're of, racing. Of, yes. yes <laughs> doing more than you thought you could is also, it can also boost self-esteem and and what have you. So that that's also good too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that tool. It also enforces their time awareness. Like they're like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. that was five minutes and I was able to put my shoes away and get my backpack out and get a snack (laughs) or whatever they could do in five minutes. Like they're usually Mm -hmm. very like amused or amazed that they could, they could do that much in five minutes. So. I was I I had that experience when I um I re- we have a gas stove and I really hate cleaning it off after we cook dinner because you have to like lift up the grates and oh there's so many crevices it's so annoying and so I found myself avoiding it, which is gross. And then it looks gross. And, um, and so I said, Oh, you know what? I'm going to time myself is I think that it takes me about 10 minutes. It took me four minutes, Mm -hmm. like four minutes, top to bottom, even wiping down the oven door and the handle and everything. I was like, Hannah. So every time I don't want to clean off the stove at night, I always say four minutes, you have four minutes. Yeah, it's a really good tool. The other thing I really like about five minute goals and that I always say to myself and anyone else that I'm suggesting use it is that when that timer goes off and whether you've set it for two minutes or five minutes or whatever, you can then either decide to be done or keep going. And it's really nice because it's like a built in permission to be done. Mm -hmm. I'm only asking you to do this for five minutes. Oh, you're, you're into it. You're like, oh, well, maybe I'll just keep going. All right, then keep going. But if you're like, no, this sucks and I don't want to do this anymore, then you stop. And I really, I like that, that flexibility yeah. built in. Yeah. I was going to say it's good for task initiation and also cognitive flexibility too. It's like, oh, that wasn't so hard. Maybe I can keep going. Yes, <laughs> or I can get stop, you, you know? 
Right. It totally gets you to change your perspective on it. Absolutely. Yeah. I use that strategy actually for my um my one son. He hates going outside. <laughs> like he just doesn't like playing outside and the other one like really enjoys it. So I'm like, just 10 minutes a day after school, just go out for 10 minutes a day. Um, and he's out there for like 20, 30 minutes. Like he absolutely loves it. Um, so I'm like, this really, like it worked um, just setting that. And sometimes like if he's tired, he's like, it's a 10 minutes up. But for the most part, like it got him to go outside more, which was really great at our house at least. Yes. And that brings me back always, always, always just start small, right? Anything mm-hmm. that can, that feels like it's going to be hard, feels like it's going to be a challenge, start small, which is the same thing when you are implementing new strategies that you're using with your kids to try to make some change in either your relationship with them or trying to build autonomy and independence for them. So you have to start small. This is not a a change that's going to happen overnight. It's not, you know, you can't all of a sudden throw all these tools at your kids and be like, (laughs) ta-da, magic. It just doesn't work that way. And there's going to be times that we slip and there's going to be times that that we forget. And it's just easier for us to just pack their backpack because we're late. And I just want to pack your backpack because you're not doing it right anyway. (laughs) Um, But as long as, as long as we recognize that it's not going to happen overnight and just do small steps, small steps working towards that independence, I think at least for me personally and what I've seen in my clients, it makes a really big difference. Absolutely. And celebrate those small successes too. Yeah, Um, It's really important if they forgot their backpack for a week and they finally remembered it, but they forgot to put their Chromebook inside, at least they remember their backpack. Uh, So like it's a small, those small steps, but celebrating it because it it makes a huge difference when you're like, Oh, awesome job. Great job bringing your backpack every day. Um, They, they get that sense of pride and they get the sense of, you know what? I could keep doing this and I could add on to it. Yeah. And they start to see the benefit of doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that makes me think about how, like we only have the lens that we have through which to look like we are adults and we are looking at their situation through this adult lens. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it can be really hard to understand, like, why can't you just (laughs) remember to do whatever it is that I've just asked you to do? So I think, I mean, do you see that a lot when you're working with parents and their kids, like helping the, helping each other understand that, we're all coming from a different perspective. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things that we have to actually talk to parents about is just put yourself in their shoes. Yes, it is easy for us because we've already been through it um, or like been, to something, been through something similar to it, you know, like we and think of a time that you forgot about your dentist appointment, your doctor's appointment, or <laughs> you forgot to turn off the stove when you're making tea. I'm like, it happens to all of us. Um, so we, yes. we really have to tell them, like, just try to think as like the five-year-old or seven-year-old or even the teenagers. Like, there's a lot going on in their mind. Um, it, it might not be on their top of the things to do is to take their backpack to school. Like, maybe they were really nervous yeah. about a test or, you know, one of their friends yeah. were mm-hmm. sick or something happened, you know. We just have to always think about what are they feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why like that whole, like for anyone who's listening right now, like you're, you're taking the time to maybe learn something and maybe find something that can help you understand your kids or maybe ease some of the, you know, friction or conflict between you and your kids. And then that's how like our kids can learn from the role models that they have. And if they, if like from their teachers or their elder siblings, or if they have a coach, um, just, they're just still learning and we were all still learning. I don't know. It's not really sure. Yes. To say. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, all, we're definitely all still learning. And I, I mean, I have my own example of, I mean, I don't know if I should lead with logical consequences, but um, because it doesn't always, it doesn't feel good when you forget to do something, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, because there's, you know, the intention of doing it and there's the impact. Um, you know, it's one thing if it affects you, it's another thing if it, affects someone else. Um, but I was just thinking how, I mean, it can be good. Um, if it's a small logical consequence, <laughs> that's not detrimental, um, for students to be like, Oh, like I didn't, um, this would, I mean, be for an older client, but I, you know, I, I didn't look at Google calendar and I've got to have a quiz 
a science quiz. So um, the logical, you know, the so there's a consequence of forgetting the quiz, um, which stinks. And then, but then there's like, okay, so next time I'm going to do this. Um, yes, which is really important yes. for for that awareness. Um, it's metacognitive awareness and, and growth as well. Mm-hmm. So do you guys have any other go-to tools that you like to share with your clients and parents? So one go-to tool that like I think all of my clients love once I tell them about it is a fast break plan. It's basically like, okay, I have homework to do and I have studying to do and I have to walk the dog and my chores to do, but I also want to play my video games. Um, so instead of coming home and having the child like come home right from school and do everything that's like a priority according to the parent standards um just break it up like okay let's do read your reading vocabulary words for 30 minutes then you could do like a five minute or 15 minute break then let's get back to doing maybe your math work this will take like maybe 20 minutes okay then let's take a break um just having those little like brain breaks in between it really lets the child kind of have a sense of their own schedule. Like, yeah, I could do this or I could do that. Um, And get the child involved with the fast break plan. Write it down. Be like, does this work for you? Like one of my children, like he gets home, he wants his work done, his homework. Like he wants it out of the way. The other one, like he is tired from work and he's like, I want to play first. And I'm like, okay, let's come up with a routine that works for you. Um, I mean, it took me a while to get there because I'm like, no, it has to be like this. But once I had like I listened to him and I told like he told me what he wants to do now, he gets all of his work done. Um, but he's not doing it how I would do it. But that's totally OK. Um, he's using mm-hmm. basically that fast break pr- plan where he gets the work done, mm-hmm. but he has that time to play and um, just kind of relax in between. And I love how you brought up how, like for you, that's not how you would do it, but you you were able to see from his point of view, this is this really is going to work for him and how his sibling is approaches it differently. And my kids are the same way. My fifth grader, he wants to come in, he wants to get all his homework done right away. He doesn't want to mm-hmm. have anything that he needs to do and then he can just go and do it. And then my daughter, she likes to kind of spread it out over the over the evening. So, yeah. And I think I think that's really hard to do. Um, I mean, it's hard to do. It's hard to see other people's perspectives, like regardless of who the person's perspective is. You're trying to see. Absolutely. Um, it, it's it's hard to do. And I and I do. I really think it's it is absolutely worth taking the time to try to understand. And you know, and if they come up and like I love how you said, get them involved. So if they come up with a plan that does really work for them. Why do they have to do it the way you would do it? As long as it's working for them, why not? Why not let them discover that on their own? And how much, how many lessons in independence and autonomy does that teach them? Absolutely. Like not to mention, it really does reduce that friction. <laughs> like, it, like, yeah, like, it gets you like, out of the absolutely. way. Absolutely. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. uh, I wish I knew this a long time ago. Like, it, it really, oh, yeah, like, right? he's doing his work. He's getting everything done mm-hmm. by the end of the night, which is the end goal anyways. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it works yeah. well. Yeah. And the consequences, the natural consequences, logical consequences that you were talking about before, Stephanie, like, okay, so here, I'm going to let you, um, you know, build this plan and I'm going to, I'm going to trust you to work through this plan. And if you don't manage your time well, and you are still, you know, up doing your stuff late or you didn't get it done and then you don't get to turn it in, then there's a consequence. And then maybe you are able to, um, to, you know, learn from that for the next time. And I think as parents and maybe even as caregivers, not, not in the role of a parent, but even as a teacher, especially of younger children, you don't want your kids to experience those natural consequences. You don't want them to have a negative experience. You don't want them to feel bad. You know, you just want them to have this like happy existence where they don't experience those negative feelings, but that's where they learn. Absolutely. And that all those opportunities to learn all that is only going to serve them really well as they get older and the challenges get bigger and their responsibilities get bigger. And so if we're constantly trying to protect them from those negative emotions, whatever it is, by doing all the things that they forgot for them, Mm -hmm. then they miss out on a lot of learning opportunities. I think it is important to consider 
if you have the time and the bandwidth to consider the different aspects of each situation, it can be helpful. Absolutely. And give the child time as well. Like if, if they make their own schedule and they're like, it's going to work in the first day, they didn't get their homework mm-hmm. done. It's not going to change overnight. Again, it's progress. Yeah. Like, so yeah. like what I usually do is like, let's try it for a week or two. And then we talk about yes. it. What worked, what didn't work. Let's tweak it. I mean, as long as their grades aren't going down and there's, they're not forgetting their backpack every single day, I let them learn from the yes. natural consequences. And then we talk about yeah. what worked, what didn't work, and we change it because that's how they learn. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it really does take a long time. It's not, it's not overnight. Mm-hmm. I mean, not even for us, you know, it, it's as caregivers, it's, it doesn't happen overnight either. It, like if we're trying to change our approach to our parenting and, it doesn't happen overnight. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, for kids who have, um, for kids who have coaches or who maybe they have like a tutor or, um, you know, they work one-on-one with a, a specialist, how, um, how do you guys see parental support, um, coming in there? Like how do, how do you, how do you work with parents of young children? Um, for me, I just, I let the parents know that like, let the child practice. If we're working on something in the coaching session, like just practice what we're working on. Um, for us, for, for, for beyond book smart, we have those portal notes, right? We kind of communicate with the parent what's going on. Um, let them read the portal notes and understand what the tool is. Um, share, like sharing the tools that you use at home with the coach or the tutor or even the teacher um, just be like, Oh, we use this at home. Like as simple as color coding. Um, maybe you could try it in the classroom. Uh, it really helps when there's that communication. So communication mm-hmm. is like the top key of helping the child, no matter who they're learning it from. Um, it helps us work together and help them succeed, which is the main goal. Really reinforces the consistency, which is what you need to mm-hmm. to find any success. Absolutely. Is there anything else you guys would like to add um, in your experience as as coaches of young children? Is there anything, any takeaways that are really relevant for for listen, our listeners? I think just basically, just like we said, like communication and patience and um, just consistency is really, really key to having your child succeed. Um, And working with the teacher, with the administration, Mm. with the coach, with the tutor, no matter who your child sees, even if it's, um, if they're basketball or baseball or playing a sport, just knowing what your child is working on and having that open communication could help them succeed. I would say the goal is progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I When I interviewed Peg Dawson, she said um, progress, she said her colleague had a thing on the wall that said progress is measured in, in years and not months. <laughs> so it just, it does, it just takes a while. <laughs> yeah. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed our conversations about executive function skill development in our youngest kiddos and that maybe it helps with some of those challenges we experience while parenting or teaching them. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. Please share our show with the people in your lives who might like learning about EF skills in little kids. You never know. It might just make a huge difference for them. You can subscribe to Focus Forward on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple or Spotify, give us a boost by giving us a five-star rating. Sign up for our newsletter at beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast, and we'll let you know when new episodes drop and we'll share information related to the topic. Thanks for listening.